Have you ever found yourself locked out? Have you ever found yourself locked out of a car, locked out of a situation? Because I know of a few famous stories around our church where people were locked out. If you've never heard before, Amanda Martin once locked herself inside of her car. Uh, and you might think, how did she lock herself inside of her car? It's a funny story where she literally called her dad one time and said, Dad, you don't understand. I've locked myself inside of my car. And my keys are on top of the car and I'm locked in my car and I cannot get out. And her dad was like, just open the door. Just open the door, sweetheart. She's like, okay. And she did. She opened, she's sitting there for 10 minutes crying, Donnie, because she was locked inside of her car. Uh, and let me promise you, that might be funny. It might be hilarious. She's not here so I can joke about her, amen. Uh, and, but I found myself a few times in my life locked out. And one of those is here recently. Because the other day, when me and Emily moved into our house, if you did not know this, I grew up in a home where there was no such thing as locked doors, Kenneth. We didn't ever lock your door. If you went somewhere, guess what? You just didn't lock your door. Some of y'all live by this. Don't identify yourself. Uh, but some of you live this way. I know of a man in our church who he leaves his keys in his truck no matter where it is. And so I've been waiting to see it at the store, and I'm going to move it. Amen. Uh, I've been waiting. I've been waiting. I ain't found it yet. But I do know of a few of you who you leave your car keys in your thing. And I was kind of like that. Like when I had my Jeep, I would always leave the keys in it. Wouldn't even worry about nothing. When I lived in the apartment by myself, I never ever locked the door. Like people come over. I want time. Y'all know the story. I woke up one time with a stranger sleeping on my couch. It was one of my buddies. He had wandered in at 2 a.m. and slept on my couch. It was wild. Uh, and so with that being said, I grew up no locked doors, no locked windows. My wife, though, the Wilson family motto is, you're going to get robbed. You're going to get robbed. You're going to get murdered. You're going to get kidnapped. You're going to get thefts coming your way. So you lock everything. You lock every cupboard, every cabinet. You lock every, everything's going to be locked down. And me and Emily have gotten in numerous fights because she locks doors. There's been several fights over this. So much so to where if our car is in the driveway in our very house, she locks it when she runs inside real quick to grab something and comes back out. I'm thinking, you think the thief's out there? She went in. <laughs> and he's just going to run and grab the car? I said, no. Like, it, it's just who they are. So the second night we're in our house, we just got moved in, got everything done, got everything unpacked. We're going through the unpacking process. We we're sitting there watching TV, looking at all of our boxes, and Emily said, hey, I think I left some in the garage. I think we need to go out there and check it. And I said, okay, that's fine. And so she picked up Esther, and uh, I thought, we'd just go in the garage. My phone was sitting on the end table. I didn't worry about it. Her phone's on the end table. We went out in our garage, and we closed the door to the house, and we were out in the garage looking for some. And Mike, we went back into the house, and the door was locked. The door was locked. Not only was that door locked, but every other door going into the house was locked. Not only was every door locked, but our phones were inside the house. And so I looked at Emily, and I was mad. I ain't gonna lie, I sinned. I sinned big time. I got mad. I showed my butt. And I was like, this is a $700 door, and I'm about to break it in because you locked the door, and I told you not to lock the door. She said, no regrets. She looked at me and she said, not even one letter. She said, I'm not regretting this because I feel safe. And I'm thinking, we're in our garage. And so I was like, I was thinking, I was like, maybe I can get up in the attic. And like, I was thinking in my head, I was like, what can I do? What can I do? And lo and behold, I kid you not, thank God, thank God I have my watch on. Because the watch, if you didn't know, it's iPhone watches, iWatches, they have the ability to make calls if your phone is close by. So I was, here I was. And I got a hold of Sawyer. Sawyer! He was like, yeah. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm at home. And I was like, I need you to come over to our house and bring the spare key which you have to our house. He said, 
okay, I'm on my way. And he came. And thank God he delivered us. But in those 20 minutes it took for him to get there, (laughs) we had marriage counseling. And we had a great talk about how we don't lock that door. And I'd love to say that I won that, but I did not win that, brothers. Because the door still to this day is locked most nights. Because you know what it's like to be locked out and not have a good connection somewhere. And thanks be to God, we were able to have our phones, able to connect somebody who could help us out. But if you really think about the story of Jonah here, he is literally locked out. He has no connection, you could say. And you think about this, and you think about in the end of chapter 1, it says that the sailors took him and they threw him overboard. And when he was thrown overboard, that the Lord appointed. Look at verse number uh, 17, I mean, verse number, uh, 17 of the first chapter. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So while Jonah was drifting down into the abyss, you think about how depressing that would be. He's floating downward. He can see the flashes of lightning. He can see just how dark it's getting. He would rather die. The scripture very, very, very obviously tells us Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh. And so he's drifting down into the abyss, and he's thinking, I'm going to die. I'm going to wake up in glory. I don't have to worry about Nineveh. I don't have to worry about my life. I don't have to worry about the sailors. I don't have to worry about the ship. I don't have to worry about nothing. I don't have to worry about the national debt. I don't have to worry about any of the things that are going on in my life. He said, I'm okay with just dying. But the Lord did what? Appointed a fish to come up and swallow him. And he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And look what verse number 1 in chapter 2 tells. This is the Jonah's prayer to the Lord from the belly of the fish. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Shul I cried, and you heard my voice. Verse 1 and 2, I want to focus on this topic. Why are you praying? Why are you praying? Think about this. Think about why you pray. Because I'll tell you what your prayer life reveals to you and what it reveals to God. Because it reveals something to us and it also reveals something to God. See, here's the truth and reality. We only pray for what we think we cannot control. So that makes our prayer list really short. Because we only pray for things we feel like that are out of our hands. And you can tell this by the very language we use to people. Only thing left to do is to do what? Pray. You've been there before. People say the only thing we can do now is pray. And so really if you think about it, the only time our prayers really get serious is when we're desperate. When we are desperate, when we know the doctor is looking at us saying, hey, I can't do nothing. When the bills are coming in that are too much money than we've got left of the month. And so at the end of the day, our prayers reveal to us what we think we can handle. And they also reveal to God how much faith we have in Him, but what we think He can handle. So it shows what we think we can handle and also shows what we trust God with by just looking at our prayers. If you want to know how spiritually mature someone is, look at their prayer life. Look at how much time they are spending praying to the Lord, and show, it'll show you how dependent they are on the Lord. Because in all reality, there's either people who pray or there's people who don't. There's either people who say, I, I pray, this is why I pray, because I believe the Lord can do this and do that. And so looking at Jonah's prayer journal here in chapter verse 1 and verse 2, notice some things he doesn't pray for. Notice what he doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray for the sailors. He doesn't pray, God, be with these men who I just put in danger. God, be with these men who I literally probably could have killed them because I would not obey you. 
No, Jonah's prayer life, look at this, church. It's so self-focused. He says, what I called out to the Lord out of my distress. All about me, my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Shul, I cried, and you heard my voice. See, here's the truth. Jonah would, had no problem being in the fish's belly. He had no problem being there. He had no problem either. Why? Because he doesn't pray, God, deliver me from the belly of the fish. No. He says what? Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I'm here, and I'm thankful I'm okay. He's very self-focused. He's very self-centered, and he's just about himself. My distress. I'm thankful you took care of me. I'm thankful you heard my cry. You can see a lot of selfishness in his prayer. And I want to ask you that. If we were to look at your prayer life, were to look at what's going on in you, would we see prayers for thankfulness, prayers for deliverance, maybe prayers also for boldness? What would we see if we looked at your prayer life? What would that reveal about you and what you take seriously? Because let me tell you something. It reveals a lot about you. It reveals an awful lot about you as a Christian, of what you actually pray for. Where does your mind go when you pray? What are you praying? What are you asking the Lord to do in your life. So that brings me to that question, why are you praying? What are you doing? Because I'll tell you the truth of the matter is, like I've said before already, is that when you find a desperate person, you'll find a person who prays. When you find somebody who's desperate, they're thinking, I can't do anything, you'll find a prayer warrior there. Why? Because they've, they've exhausted all options. They've exhausted all options. And you'll find somebody who's desperate saying, God, I want you to move. I love how one uh, theologian once said that there are no atheists in foxholes. I thought how true that is. There are no atheists in foxholes. Everybody anywhere, when there's a desperate situation you cannot control, you will cry out. I feel bad for an atheist. Why? Because they have no one to cry out to. But we as Christians, guess what? We have someone to cry out to. We have someone who hears us. We have someone who knows us. We have someone that scriptures even tells us before we even ask, our Father knows. Our Father knows. And you might be like, why in the world does God have us ask? Because he delights to have a relationship with us. You know, he delights to have it. You, you don't, you, and you understand that if you've got children, why? Because I love when Esther looks at me and goes, more. I love it. Like, I love, she, and I know she wants more because she's she, she like her daddy, I mean, she likes to eat. She likes sweets. And so I'll give her like an elf cookie every now and then. More. And we're, we're working on please, we're working on thank you, right? And uh, so we're doing all that, why? Because we really, I love to see her communicate with me. Why? Because even as I love her and I'm an earthly father, how much more does our heavenly father love when we communicate to him? Love when we communicate to him and say, hey, father, I need more. Hey, I'm thankful. Hey, hey, please, father, father God, please, 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 crying out to the Lord. Because at the end of the day, guess what? He said, no more sailors. Jonah said, no more problems. I'm still not going to Nineveh. Still not going to Nineveh. Let me ask you this, this next part here. Let's look at the next stanzas from 3 to 6a. 3 to 6a. 6a means the first part of verse number 6. How are we praying? Look what he says here. For you cast me into the deep, in the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me, and your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I was driven away from your sight, yet shall I look again upon your holy temple. The water closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain, and I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Do you notice how much sovereignty God has? Look at at the language here. He says what? You cast me into the sea. He said, you did that. Now, if you remember in chapter 1, 
The Lord didn't physically do it. The Lord didn't grab Jonah up and thump, thump him in the sea, right? He didn't do that, no. But the sailors did it. Why? Because let me promise you something. God is in control. God is in absolute control. Now, what do I mean by that? You have to remember the whole reason why the sailors even threw him in the sea in the first place because the storm the Lord sent to the sea. So the Lord is sovereign. Guys, this is a big, big thing people understand about the Lord. The Lord has never had a time where he was surprised by anything. We believe in an all-sufficient, all-sovereign, all-powerful God who is in control of everything in existence. And you might be like, everything in existence? The thing that God is not in control, I will take that back, the thing that God kind of lets go without his control is the, the, is the problem of sin. Well, there are some things that happen because, guess what, because of our sin. Like, you want to ask me, why does God allow such bad things to happen in the world? Because it's not that God allowed it to happen. God is simply letting it happen. Why? Because of our sins. You see, everything you see in the world, every problem we see around us, I promise you, is not caused by a wicked creator who says he's not good, doesn't want good for us. No, it's caused by our own selfishness and our own sin. Every problem you see, every problem you see around us is caused by either our sins or the sins of others or our sins as a society. That's just the truth. Because nobody has hurt you more than you've hurt you. Nobody has. Nobody's lied to you more than you've lied to you. Nobody's been wrong to you more than you've been wrong to you. Nobody has given you trust issues more than yourself. Because you can't trust yourself. And at the end of the day, I want to ask you that question. How are you praying? Because what, what do we see here in Jonah? He knows the Lord is sovereign. He knows the Lord's in control. And let me remind you of this. These trials and things we've got going on, they can either be a tomb for you or they can be a womb for you. Now, what do I mean by that? They can be a tomb for you or they can be a womb for you. A tomb or a womb. What do I mean? I mean that our trials can either lead to transformation or they can lead to stagnation. That was really good. You should amen that. I wrote that down this week. Logan said, fire. Because it is true. Our trials can either lead to transformation for us or they can lead to stagnation for us. Thank you, Logan. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because you really think about it. When you see somebody who's going through trials, you have two groups of people. You have people who use it as a, almost like a, a catalyst. You have people who use it as a cocoon. You have people who use it as a massive moment where everything changed in their life. Or you have people who look at it as a moment where, guess what, life was unfair to them and life was difficult to them and they just stopped. You just stop. Friday morning, I'm usually off on Fridays, praise God for that. And Friday morning, I went to the gym over at uh, the pack in Paducah, and I uh, saw a friend there I hadn't seen in a long time. His name is uh, Curtis, and uh, he had an accident about two years ago where he lost both his legs. A couple years ago, he lost both his legs at a freak work accident, and uh, he was there on prosthetic legs working out in the gym. He was there um, with prosthetic legs. He was doing pull-ups. He was doing bench press. He was doing everything. And I saw him, and I was just, I was, it, it was inspirational to me. I told him, I said, man, I'm so glad to see you. Because he used to work out before the accident, and I saw him. And I'll ne it, it, the Lord encouraged me, church. The Lord encouraged me because I told him. And I told him I was bold. I don't know why. The Lord was like, be bold. And I was like, I've been praying for you. And I was like, and that's so weird with guys like me. <laughs> hey, bro, I've been praying for you. Uh, like, you know, women can get by with that, but it's weird when men do it. But I said that to him, and I don't know why the Lord told me to do it, but then after the conversation, I said, Lord, you're so good. Because I said that to him, I said, hey, I've been praying for you. He said, man, I got just glory to God. 
He said, I found out during my accident that if it had been just a little bit warmer or a little bit colder, then I would not have survived because I was bleeding out. And he said, there were just so many things. My work partner put tourniquets on my leg. And he said, I kid you not, I am here today because the Lord was with me. And here was a man, I think about that in my life. I think about if I lost both my legs, Donnie, I would think, I would love to say, man, I'd be a person of faith. I'd love to say I'd be an inspiration. But I'll be honest with you, church, it's like you don't know this. We don't know until we're there. And to see him, instead of, let's, guess what? The enemy used this to probably try to kill him and distract him. But guess what? He said, no, no, no. I'm going to use this to bring glory to God, the Lord. And how true that is. We go through trials and tribulations. You could either say, God hasn't been good to me. God hasn't been kind to me. God has left me. God has abandoned me. Or you can stick to the truth of Scripture, what tells us God is good. God is good for us. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't been around someone who's older. And I don't mean to, to pick on those who are older than us, but I'll just be honest with you. There are, there are two groups of people who reach seniors in life, people who reach the, the gray hair status. Amen, that's good hair, amen. It's good days. The Bible says gray hair is a crown of glory. Kenneth, you got a heck of a crown. I'm telling you, man, got a heck of a crown. But there are older people who you've, you've seen them, who they either keep progressing in life, and they understand, hey, I've had my time, I've had my season, it's time to give back, it's time to give back. Or you have older people who they become stagnant. You've seen them. And you're around them, and even their body language itself screams to you that they feel poor, pitiful me, and death is knocking at their door. Because the truth is, guys, we've all had trials, we've all had tribulations, and Jonah here, he's in one heck of a trial, one heck of a tribulation, but guess what? The tomb itself can be a womb for a Christian if you choose to let God work in the middle of it. And say, God, work in the middle of this. Why? Because I know you've got good for me. I know you've got good for me. And you've got to trust that God's in control. And this is a lot of faith, but you've got to have enough faith in God that if he withholds, you better listen to this. You've got to have enough faith in God that if he withholds, it's for your better. It's for your better. You've got to have that much faith that if God withholds it, it's got to be for my better. It's got to be better for me. Now, that's difficult, but you've got to believe that. Why? Because we believe in a good God. Because the enemy tells you what? God is holding out on you. God has not been good to you. God has abandoned you, and that's the voice from the pit of hell itself. That's not true. That's not true. Well, how do we pray? How do we pray, Pastor Nick? Like we see here, Jonah's praying. He's honest. He's saying, like, I was in the depths, I was driven away, I was pushed down, I was wrapped, I had seaweed around my head. I mean, you think about all this language. He's very, very vocal and he's very honest. So I want to encourage you to remember that. In order to pray right, we've got to get honest. We've got to get humble. We've got to get a time. We've got to get a place. We've got to get low. We've got to get bold. We've got to be careful. And we've got to get a pen. I'm going to say it to you again in that order. You've got to get a time. You've got to get a place. You've got to get low. Get low, get low. You got to get low. I'm telling you, you got to get low. You might be like, why you got to get low, Pastor Nick? My back hurts, my knees hurt. Let me tell you something. We used to have sweet saints here at our church who are older, and guess what? Even though it hurt their knees, they would still get down. Because you know what getting low does? Let me tell you how powerful spirituality and physiology are mixed together. When you get low with your body, it's also showing you're low in spirit. You're prostrating yourself. That's a very old King James Version word, Amen. But it means to get low. You're prostrating yourself as low as you can, showing the Lord, I'm serious. 
I'm going to get low. I'm going to get on my face. And I'm going to show you, God, I'm crying out to you. I've got nothing. So our physical posture shows our spiritual posture. If you don't believe me, look at the parable of the publican and the sinner praying in Jesus' story. Remember that? Remember the story? The Pharisee and the publican, sorry, not the Pharisee and the publican. Uh, The Pharisee was lifting holy hands, saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like any of these people. And what did the the publican do? The publican was like beating his chest. Lord, I'm I'm a sinner. He was physically showing what he was experiencing spiritually. So I want to challenge you, get low. Get low. You want to get humble. Get humble with the Lord and say, God, I've got nothing. I brought nothing with me. I could take nothing with me. God, I have nothing outside of you. You've got to get humble. Next, you've got to get needy. I don't like neediness. Like, I lived by myself for 10 years, so Emily will tell you, I'm very, very self-independent. Uh, like, I don't like when I need certain things. Like, I don't like, like, having to, like, I don't, I don't do good with neediness. I don't do, that's one of my things. I don't, and then the Lord, you know, blessed me and blessed us with a daughter who she's just needy. Amen. She's a baby. And so it kind of works its way out of you, because let me tell you something, we're all needy. We're all needy. In order to be with the Lord and really get his attention, you've got to be needy. You've got to ask. I know you men in here, you're like I am. You don't want to ask your friend for help. That's why you get on the roof and fall off the roof. Amen. You got somebody holding the daggum. You ain't got nobody to hold the ladder. I don't need no help. You lay in the yard. I should ask for help. Because you've got you to get needy. You've got to ask your friend. And let me say this, just a little short caveat. When you get needy with your friends, when your friends get needy with you, you've got to honor that. Don't be that friend who they're always willing to help you out, but you don't want to help them out. No, let me tell you something. There's certain people I have a debt to. That means they call me, I'm going. Got to help them out. Why? Because I'm, I, they've been needy. I've been needy to them, and now they have the right, I'm going to be needy back to them. Why? Because you got to get needy. Uh, next, you got to be honest. You got to be honest with the Lord. Hey, Lord, I'm not, I'm not feeling, feeling your presence. Be honest. You know what? The Lord knows. Be honest. Uh, next, you got to be bold. Little prayers equal little results. Little prayers equal little results. Pray big. Pray big. Now, I don't see me thinking, you talking about pray big? Like, Lord, give me a million dollars. You know what the Lord's going to say? I gave you a job. Put it in your retirement. Amen? So I'm telling you, you might think, like, don't be getting wild out there saying, big prayers. Pray for big, big, massive things. You can, but also pray big. Pray big. And expect God to move in a big way. And sometimes God answers your own prayers through your own hands. That's what sometimes the Lord does. Uh, next one, be careful. Be careful what you pray for. Because you might be praying, Lord, give me patience. I don't want to be in a car with you. Because you'll be stuck at a red light. It'll malfunction. You'll be there for three days. Otherwise, otherwise known as the red light coming off the Ledbetter Bridge. Amen. Uh, you'll be there for 16 hours. It's just forever. And uh, so be careful what you pray for. Because he might answer them in three different ways. God answers prayers in three ways. He answers them yes, answers them no, and he answers them not yet. That's clearly in Scripture. God says yes, he says no, and he says not yet. He says wait. But there are times God says no. God flat out says no, not happening. Because you don't know what's good. God knows what's good. Uh, Next one, get a pen. Get a pen or a notebook or a piece of paper and write it down. You know why? Because you forget things. I don't know if you forget things because you lock doors that go to the garage. You forget things, amen? So make sure you write things down. Write down your prayers. Why? Because someday that will be a testimony to you about God's faithfulness. Write down your prayers. Write down your prayers. Say it again. Write down your prayers. 
say, man, we were praying for this, God delivered. We were praying for this, God said no. We were praying for this, God said not yet. Write down your prayers. And then the last one we talked about, I'm, I'm finishing up with you here in a second, I'm telling you, I'm going pretty quick. Why are you praying? How are you praying? Next one, what are you praying for? What are you praying for? Look what it says here in chapter uh, 2, verse 6 through B through 10. Yet you brought me out of the life from the pit, O Lord. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you that I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This last little prayer here, look what, look what Jonah, look what he's praying for. He's praying for, guess what, to be delivered. He's praying thanksgiving, but he's also praying, God, deliver me from the pit. And look what he says here. He says what? Those who place their hope in idols, they forsake the steadfast love of God. So he's saying, hey, guess what? My hope is not in idols. My hope is not in whatever else is claiming to. My hope is in the Lord. He's praying for thanksgiving. He's saying, Lord, I'm thankful that you have taken care of me. And look what he says there in verse number 9. I have vowed that I will repay. He's saying, I'm going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Nineveh. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, reading this, let me show you a cool little thing here. When you read this text, most people like I was prior to doing some deep study on this, you would think that God has changed, I mean, that Jonah has changed his mind. Like reading the text, it sounds like that. He's saying, God, I'm thankful for you. God, you're my salvation. God, those who place their hope in idols, their vain hope. Like he's saying, God, thank you. The vow I've made, I will repay. You would think, reading the text, that Jonah is a changed man. But I'll show you why I think that's not the case, and it's because of the language that the author uses in the next verse. Because the next verse, look what the Lord says. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now look at that. Look at that language there. He doesn't, it doesn't say, and the Lord told the fish to go put Jonah on dry land. You notice that? It doesn't say, and the Lord told the fish to take Jonah to Nineveh. No, it doesn't say that either. It says what the Lord told the fish, and the fish vomited. When you think about vomiting, it's not a pleasant experience. It's not my top ten things to do today, Donnie. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, I don't want to have that. Vomiting is a very visceral, strong language that invokes in us, like you invokes in you, sickness. So reading this on the back end of it, it almost seems here that Jonah thinks he is fooling the Lord, and the Lord's going to be like, oh, you think you're fooling me? I'll show you you're not fooling me. So he causes the whale, to, the whale, the fish, interchangeable there, uh, to vomit Jonah out on the beach. And I said that to say this. How do I know that's probably true that Jonah's heart didn't change? Because chapter 4. Chapter 4 in the book of Jonah is the one all kids' tales never, ever remember. It's like the story ends in Nineveh. Everybody got saved. In chapter 4, everybody's like, that didn't happen. But we're going to get there. Calm down. We're going to get there. Because you know, at the end of the day, the prophet's heart didn't change. His location may have changed. His conditions may have changed. But his heart didn't change. And here's the big thing I want you to understand here, guys. At the end of the day, 
Prayer might not change things. It might not. Prayer might, there might be things, guess what? The Lord kind of says, hey, it's just going to go. Prayer might not change things. It might not. It's not 100% guaranteed God's going to give you a yes. It's not going to happen. It's not 100%. But I will tell you this. There is never a time where prayer doesn't change us. Prayer might not change things, but there's never a time that prayer doesn't change us. Because you know what happens when we pray? We are getting ourselves in line with God's will. And we're asking the Lord to move in our situation, or we're asking God to move us in our situation. And so we're asking the Lord either way to do a work. One is not guaranteed, but I will guarantee you this. Based on what we know in Scripture, God always changes us. He always changes us. He might not change our situation, but He always changes us, which changes our situation. Because our, we have changed. And once we have changed, guess what? He changes the situation. Some of y'all get that next week. You'll be like, that's what he was talking about. Because this is the truth. Prayer always changes us. Because at the end of the day, we sometimes forget that it is not our obedience that gets God's love. Like, it's not that you, you prayed this week and God loves you more or God loves you less because you didn't pray. It's not that you shared the gospel this week and God loves you more that you did, and if you didn't, God loves you less. No, guys, you need to understand a biblical principle is that our obedience is fueled by our love, and our love fuels our obedience. That make sense? So our, obe our obedience does not get us love, but our love should fuel our obedience. It is because I love my wife that I should want to serve her. It's not, I only love her when she serves me. No, I should love her unconditionally, which means, guess what? Regardless if she serves me or not, or I serve her or not, our love should be the same. But it's because my love for her, I should want to serve her. I should want to. So if I have a problem with serving my spouse, this problem is not with her, the problem's with me. I some y'all have some great talks on the way home. Because the problem is with me. Because my love should fuel my obedience. And I should not look for my obedience to fuel my love. You know, like, I, don't, I don't know if I understand that. Because there are times, there are times where your feelings, right, how you feel, might complicate things. But love is not a feeling. Look at me. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. Because feelings come and go. Love is a choice. It is a constant thing. I've chosen to love you. Thick and thin, rich or poor, sick and in health, good or bad, I have chosen for me to do this. And it's that that fuels me, once again, to want to serve her, to want to take care of her, to do those things. So understanding all of that, I want you once again think about that. Think about why are you praying? How are you praying? What are you praying for? Let me tell you what we should be praying for as a church. We should be praying for lost people. We should be praying for each other, our fellowship. We should be praying for our leaders. Guys, regardless of who the president is, you have a Christian obligation to pray for him or her. Uh, they ain't the party I want. It ain't about you. You have a Christian obligation to pray for him. Well, you don't understand how bad he or she is. Do you know who the president, you know who the, the emperor was when they wrote those words in scriptures? Nero. God killed Christians. And guess what? The Christian obligation was to pray for him. 
William Tyndall, the man who is responsible for you having a Bible today in English, William Tyndall, when he was burned at the stake in England, his last prayer, burning at the stake, was, Dear God, please open the eyes of the king of England that he might see. Guess what? The next year, King James Version of the Bible came out. Tell me prayer don't change things. I'm telling you, you have a Christian obligation to pray for things. You should pray for your kids. I'll tell you a ritual I'm trying to start before I go to bed. Key word, trying to start there. Before you go to bed, go by and put your hand on the door of your kid's bedroom. Just pray a quick prayer for them on your way to your bedroom. Go to bed. Pray for your kids. Go in. If they're real small and they, they're a heavy sleeper, amen, you can go in and maybe lay hands on them. So God, breathe with them. Pray for your spouse together. You're in the bed together. Guess what? Put your phones down and pray. spend time praying together. There are things we should be doing that we're not doing. I'm telling you, prayer does change things. In our nation, our people in our culture, guess what? They are desperate for prayer. They are desperate for prayer. On January 2nd, uh, the man by the name of Damar Hamlin, who plays for the, uh, the Bills, collapsed in the middle of the game. Some of y'all saw it, probably, I'm sure. I was watching it live with my father-in-law, and uh, we, were, we were watching, and all of a sudden, you saw Mar Hamlin. He tackled a guy, and as soon as he stood up, you saw him go rigid and fall back. Extremely, extremely serious. He fell back, and they, from what most people said, they were on the field during that time, he went into cardiac arrest. Middle of a football game, the man fell over, and his heart stopped beating. Well, immediately, as soon as that happened, guess what? The refs shut down the play. Uh, the medical staff came on board, the trainers who were there, and they started doing CPR right in the middle of the field, right in the middle of a packed football stadium. And we saw there in the middle of that football, middle of football that night, the entire stadium of 40,000, 50,000 people were all just hushed. And all the players began to take off their helmets and hit the ground. Because everyone knew that the game didn't matter anymore. The score didn't matter, the, the, the Bengals didn't matter, the Bills didn't matter, it didn't matter, this was a, a nationally televised game. Literally, you're talking about oxygen being sucked out of the entire stadium. I mean, it was just a moment in time that just stopped. Well, they were sitting there trying to get his heart to start back beating. And, of course, eventually they got him up, got him, took him off an ambulance, very serious condition. And the coaches were there, and they came together, and they were, people were, the players were weeping. On the field, just they were distraught because they were like, man, we just saw our brother just fall down. He just collapsed. It was terrible. It was terrifying. And the coaches, they came together and said, hey, the Bills coach was like, I just need some time. I need some time with my guys. And so they literally postponed the game for a couple of minutes. They postponed the game. They went back to their respected locker rooms. And they took a break from the nationally broadcast game and went back to the studio. And in the studio, you could see with all these NFL uh, analysis people, all these people who this is their job. Their job is to critique play. Their job is to critique, critique players. All of them were just standing there, and they had no script. They had nothing they could do. They had nothing they could say. They were all just stuck because they – and Adam Sheffer, who's a, a, a league correspondent who's really big in the uh, news industry as far as sports center and everything else, he said, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. And so we just, we, just we, we all need to pray. We all need to pray. And there was one uh, anchor on, I, don't know, I think it was NBC Sports, so one gentleman, he stopped in the middle of the broadcast. He said, let's just pray right now. Like, well, this is an organization, let's just pray right now. And he prayed on national television. Because in that one moment, 
for that one Bills player, every person in the entire United, entire United States really got to see that life is a vapor. Really in that moment, they got to see how fragile life is. And in that one moment, because that man's fate was national news, millions of people everywhere they were, guess what, began to cry out. Cry out to the Lord, cry out to whoever they could cry out to. Why? Because we know, guys, in our very being, we know we are finite. We know we are not going to make it out of this. Like we know in our very being that we are helpless. And so millions of people cried out for the Lord. And you know the story by now, I'm sure you do, it's been national news, but thankfully he was able uh, to recover there at the Cincinnati Hospital. He was able to go home. And right now, as far as I know, from what I've been reading, he's been doing, getting back on normal track as far as him living a healthy life and getting back to where he needs to be. He's not playing football yet. But what you saw at that moment was something we had not seen as a nation in 21 years. 21 years. Pastor Nick, what was 21 years ago? 22 years ago now. Was September 11th. Was another day when our entire nation, where the air was sucked out of us. Where every person, no matter where you were, you knew for a moment. You probably felt fear for the very first time as a United States citizen. And there was a desperation of prayer. God, please be with those people. God, please be with those first responders. God, please be with those who are in a plane who didn't know where they were going to go. I'm going to ask you this this morning. What if we as the people of God had that desperation for our lost neighbors? What about we as the people of God as much as we were drawn to pray for those massive moments? And we should draw. We should be drawn to pray for those massive moments. Imagine we as the people of God had that desperation to pray for the lost neighbors who we know. Whose faces we know. And we got a heavy heart. We prayed with urgency. God, give me a burden. A burden to see people get saved. God, give me a burden. God, help me be a witness. God, help me to take the gospel to them. God, help me be with that person. Because let me tell you something. An enemy that you're praying for ceases to be an enemy that you're praying for and starts becoming a neighbor to love starts becoming a neighbor to love. And what if we as people understood that God can do more in a millisecond than we can do in a lifetime? And we had that desperation. We had that connection with the Lord where we just got serious about prayer. During the morning, before we pick up our smartphone, guess what? We said, I'm going to pray before I do anything. And we got up and got on our bedside and we prayed before we hit the day. Maybe in the shower, instead of jamming out to Caleb or some R. Kelly or R&B, whatever it is, or Nelly, amen, whatever you'd be jamming to, you 90s kids. And we said, you know what? I'm not going to listen to any music in the shower. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to make the shower my prayer room. And while I'm scrubbing my hair, I'm just going to pray, 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 pray. You might be thinking, Pastor Nick, that's not that powerful. Pastor Nick, that doesn't really do anything. Give it a week. Give it a month. Give it a year or two, you taking it seriously, that you think prayer changes things. And there might be some things that, guess what, they don't change. But I'll tell you the one thing that will change is you will change. And you will see how desperately you need the Lord's presence in your life.
Because when we all get desperate, we all start praying. And when we all start praying, let me tell you what I know from Scripture, is God starts moving. And when God starts moving, He might change things, He might not. But I can promise you this, His people change. And when His people change, you're missing it. The neighborhood changes. And when the neighborhood changes, the community changes. And when the community changes, the school district changes. And when the school district changes, the county changes. And when the county changes, the state changes. And when the state changes, the nation changes. And when the nation changes, the world changes. Because God changes things. So once you come pray and be thankful that we cry out to God, not just God, we cry out to Him as Paul said, we cry out to Abba, Father. We get the opportunity this morning to bend the knee and to cry out to the Lord. So God, you've been so good. God, I'm so thankful. And God, I want you to deliver me. God, I want you to be with me. God, I want you to answer my prayers and give me a compassionate heart for lost people. Won't you come pray? Won't you come pray? Every head bow, every eye to close.